Joso. Uh, no. More about gel coat. When the force. Don't you call in the. More importantly. Now the world don't move to the beat of just one drum. Don't ever ask me if I'm ready for you to start, David. That's oh. the quickest way to get my legs in the air. <laughs> Bless. Jesus as, as long as you can still talk near the microphone where I can hear you on the pod, <laughs> what you do with your life is your business. Really? Uh. <laughs> oh, David, I was wondering, I was like, I, was like, I can't believe we've made it to season eight and have not done this episode. Exactly. Yeah, it's girls. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, that's why. <laughs> it is it is funny because when i texted you and said oh my god different strokes speak it's been on prime for a few months now and i went oh my god we can we can finally do garrett's girls and you said well we've we've done it right and i'm like no and what better time really since we just recently bid a fond farewell to mrs garrett uh let's let's take a look back journey back with us shall you tutti fruities and let's look at where it all began, the moment of inception, conception, and uh, a little bit of deception. Ugh. And unfortunately, no contraception. <laughs> yeah, a lot of girls there. God oh damn. God. How many extras did they fucking pay? It's so crazy. Oh, Ooh. bless. This but is what you call, if you're in the Marvel universe, um, this is the origin story, I guess. Yes. Um, Jesus Christ. Very true. This is the 170th time we see the Joker kill Batman's parents in the alley after the opera or whatever the fuck it is. God. Yeah. That's not the Marvel universe, David. Your gay card is showing. Oh, oh shit. That's not the Marvel. That was, that's Batman. He's, he's part of DC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before we get started, Matthew, uh, I wanted to give a couple of shout outs, kind of additional shout outs. Um, let's take a moment and, and address the Tutti Fruities personally and tell you guys uh, it's a new year. Uh, Christmas is already gone and it's already 2022. And as we're coming into the new year, good God, we are so thankful and happy to have you guys still with us for this journey. Yeah. And uh, we did lose a few over the pandemic. You know, Patreon is very good about making sure I'm kept abreast of who's who's in, who's out. And uh, we've lost only a handful. And during the pandemic, I, I can't believe we didn't lose everybody because uh, I don't know who had disposable income to send to two middle-aged queens who can't stop talking about a fucking TV show. But people who have real jobs, David. I, I guess I get real jobs that pandemics don't devastate and gut and wipe clean. I suppose it's true. Uh, but we do have two new Tutti Fruities and they've been new for a while, but because we've banked so many, uh, let's face the facts is their shout outs are, are terribly overdue. And I think this will still beat them. And uh, you know what? I don't care. Let's give them an extra shout out. James E., and uh, another listener just simply known as Joy. I hope you got a last name for Christmas, Joy, but James and Joy, welcome to the family. And also a special thanks to Brian F. You know, Brian F. has been with us, I think maybe from the beginning. Brian F. sent us a Christmas present. Oh, mm -hmm. would he like a tasteful nude in response? I can uh, do that. <laughs> Brian, um, 
Brian, why don't you respond to this post on the Patreon and uh, you can tell Matthew if you want no, that or not. No, please, God, I can't take one more rejection. <laughs> it's, it's already it's already 2022, which when you say it sounds like 2020 part two. Oh, oh, no, no. Uh, anyway. Yeah. So this month, Matthew, in our 26th month, of putting out this show, if you can believe it. We are going back to where it all started, Different Strokes, season one, episode 24, The Girls' School, sometimes with the addendum, AKA Garrett's Girls, because that was one of the titles in consideration, which ran to close out the first season of the very successful NBC sitcom, Different Strokes, on May the 4th of 1979. So Different Strokes originally was created by Bernie Kukoff and Jeff Harris. Um, I'm saying Kukoff because it's K-U-K-O-F-F, and I just don't want to believe his name is Kukoff. <laughs> Bernie Kukoff. <laughs> it's like, what, what? It's obviously it's a German name, I guess, but wow. Uh, so that's just interesting because those are the guys that created Different Strokes. We know Facts of Life is created by Dick Clare and Jenna McMahon, who were two writers in the Different Strokes writer's room. And what you find here is the story of this episode was by Dick Clare and Jenna McMahon and Howard Leeds and Ben Starr. And then the teleplay is only credited to Howard Leeds and Ben Starr. And you will remember they are in every single opening credits of the Facts of Life as developed by so I don't know if they ever had anything to do with the Facts of Life series itself, other than they help flesh out or do something with this one single episode that became another series. So you wonder what, what kind of work they put into it and what kind of a payday they got out of it with their names uh, in nine seasons of the Facts of Life. All it makes me think after watching this was, so you're the one to blame. <laughs> oh, oh, this is such a Lulu. It was directed by Herbert Kenwith. Herbert Kenwith directed every episode of Different Strokes for season one. And then in season two, Garen Keith took over. Uh, Herbert Kenwith is a very decorated veteran TV director, often working with Norman Lear on some of the previous Norman Lear shows. Uh, and uh, he is uh, white. I will say that season two, adding Garen Keith, probably a very good idea because Garen Keith is African-American and with a show about uh, two black boys re being raised in a rich white household. If you're going to do racial humor, racially slanted humor, yeah, at least have somebody somewhere in a position of authority uh, who might be able to keep things remotely non-offensive. Or as like Florida was constantly funny with Norman Lear, you're writing for a black voice. Mm -hmm. So have somebody with a black voice who anyway. So, yep. OK, yeah. Really glad he's even there. honest to God, even Mel Brooks and God knows Mel Brooks for how brilliant he is. He's known for being kind of a benevolently narcissistic comedian. Like you see, he puts his name on everything he does. He appears in everything he does. He's, you know, he's a big grandstander for himself and his own talents. Even he, when it came to Blazing Saddles was like, I better hire somebody like Richard Pryor to make sure 
he's in the room when it's being written and rewritten, make sure his name is in the credits so people know that at least some thought was given to the point of view from a black man when you're telling the story about a black sheriff in a white town. <sighs> anyway, well, that was the woke moment with David and Matthew. Um, so Matthew, May 4th of 1979, want to know what else was on TV that night? Oh, I thought you were going to ask what I was doing and I was not going to be able to tell you about that insane night with Richard Dawson. <laughs> when you were doing lines of coke from the different wrinkles on his forehead. I was using Fanny Flagg's credit card to cut it up. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway. So what was on TV on May 4th? We're getting towards the end of a season. So yeah. it had to be some big kind of, this isn't sweeps week, is it? I mean, it's, uh, it's not quite sweeps week. It is a Friday night. So on CBS, we have business as usual, but ABC, they are shaking shit up. Ooh. CBS at eight o'clock, we had the Incredible Hulk which had been on for a few years already. In fact, uh, this is 1979. Uh, Wonder Woman had just ended. Wonder Woman had been in the eight o'clock time zone with the Incredible Hulk at nine and then Dukes of Hazard at 10. And now with Wonder Woman gone, Dukes of Hazard was getting popular. It was nice. They could move everything back an hour. So Incredible Hulk was eight o'clock. Dukes of Hazard was nine o'clock. Uh, on ABC, uh, the Mackenzies of Paradise Cove, Matthew. You remember oh. the wonderful Mackenzies of Paradise Cove? That, <laughs> that's a mouthful. Yeah. Oh. Why did that not roll off the tongue when they were naming the shows they were picking up and continuing with? They, they couldn't have just gone with, in that time period with like Knots Landing and Falcon Scuts, you couldn't have just gone with Paradise Cove or the Mackenzies, for God's sake. You would think, wouldn't you? But here's the funny thing. It's uh, when you hear Paradise Cove, you do think of like Dynasty, Falcon Crest, or it must be. A... I think of a nudist colony. It oh, sounds okay. like a nudist colony to me. And I, that's I... an offensive term. I don't know if you knew that colony. And they refer, refer um, nudist resort. Resort or yeah, nudist retreat or something like that. Yeah. Um, well, anyways, what am I supposed to think of when I hear Paradise Cove, David? Uh, well, Matthew, it's based on the 1978 TV movie called <laughs> Sticking Together. <laughs> I can't and, that, and that was a comedy about two burn victims. No. <laughs> that was the name of, uh, of an adult rated uh, VHS title I did back in the late 80s. It was called Sticking Together. Mm. Uh, <laughs> But it was a uh, six-episode drama miniseries following this TV movie that had run the previous year. Um, it was set in Honolulu. Paradise Cove, I guess, is a real place. And it follows the adventures of Bridget, Kevin, Celia, Michael, and Timothy McKenzie, five orphan children raging in age from 7 to 17, who, in an attempt to remain a family after their parents' death in a sailing accident, adopt Kuda Weber, a reluctant seagoing fisherman, as their unofficial guardian, so the authorities will not split them up. Jesus. That's from, uh, I think it's Wikipedia. 
you're gonna need a a good sherwood schwartz um opening song <laughs> to make sure everybody's up to date everybody's up to date on that storyline sit right back and you'll hear a tale whose kids and their parents died <laughs> Jesus. yeah that's pretty i mean let's let's take a big step back so what is the show what's the what's the elevator pitch uh it's like eight is enough in hawaii but with fewer kids mm. really so I don't know what the fuck that was. I mean, I 1979, I watched me some damn television. This is the type of thing where you'd think at least I would have seen a commercial for it. I had nothing, no frame of reference for what the fuck this was. So that's crazy. You, you don't remember every single commercial you saw in 1979? Oh, wait. Yes, I forgot. I, you do. I, I kind of <laughs> did. Yeah. So that was eight to nine o'clock. And then on ABC at nine o'clock was part two of a two night miniseries event called Ike with Robert Duvall playing Dwight David Eisenhower. Oh, God damn it. I thought you were going to say playing Ike Turner. (laughs) (laughs) God. And and Linda Lavin is Tina Turner. Because uh. <laughs> if you want to tell that story, tell it from Ike's point of view. That's certainly the best narrative angle, I would think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another sidebar, so much of everything that I give as far as information on this and on the regular podcast come from Wikipedia. Seriously and truly, guys, I know every time you go there, they are asking for money this time of year. Donate, donate to Wikipedia. I use them so often. I suspect you do too. Just give them five, 10 bucks. I donate every single year because I do not know where I would be without it as far as the research, you know, the, the basic light research I need to do for, for this show. So by the grace of the streaming gods, all of Different Strokes is available on Prime Video. I recommend you watch a couple from the first season, then zip on down to season eight. The ABC version, when it jumped networks, when they rebuilt the sets, when Marianne Mobley and her son are now a part of the cast, when Arnold is 15, trying to still act like a child. It's a, it's a very different show by the end. Yeah. <laughs> and not in a good way, like the facts of life could be argued. So are we ready to do our breakdown, our deep, deep dive analysis here, Matthew? Oh, David, I... Oof. Yeah, let's give, what's your initial overall thoughts? I thought I wasn't, I, I, I've said it before and I say it again. There are good child actors. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where any of them were <laughs> when it's they auditioned true. for this show. It's true. It's like, where are the Gary Goldmans and the Ricky Schroeders and the, uh, the what was the girl, uh, Quinn? Who's the girl that was in the Goodbye Girl? Um, it was Quinn something, isn't it? God, I should know that. Anyhow, Quinn Cummings? Yeah. And I think she was nominated for an Oscar. She didn't win the Tatum O'Neills, the Jodie Fosters. Annie Hoosel. No, I, I could not agree more. And uh, we'll, we will get to it when we get there. But yeah, my overall thoughts are, we already discussed the pilot, how we're like, Oof, this, this was rough from, from season one, episode one. Well, if you take that 
and roughing that up even more roughly, you got this where you're like, I do not really see all the elements that I perceive would gel together into a really good sitcom. And, and clearly they didn't either because they changed a whole bunch of stuff and, and it still wasn't the right combination. But yeah, so let's get to it, shall we? All right. Line one. Line one. <clears throat> We're sitting at breakfast. And, uh, and, and the director told Conrad Bain, a television actor with the TV camera five feet from his face, we need you to let the third balcony know that you are looking <laughs> around the room and you can't find Kimberly, who should be in the chair next to you. Don't just look at the chair next to you, Conrad. That's not enough. We no. need you to look all over this fucking kitchen, all over this studio, and then deliver the line. Hey, where's Kimberly? <laughs> so uh, I'm already... I'm already like, oh, God, fucking different strokes. Here we go. Okay. Yeah. And, and the fact that the line is, Mrs. Garrett, where is Kimberly and Arnold? They're going to be late for school. It's like, um, Mrs. Garrett, where's, you, you could just say rhetorically, well, where are, the, where are those kids? Or how about Kimberly, Arnold, where are you? You know, it's like, Mrs. Garrett, you work for us. Um, take, would you please take care of this? Take care of this, please. Mm. Um fascinating fascinating way to start and then we go into another directorial thing where mrs garrett says oh i'll go check on them and then it cuts to a shot of kimberly and arnold coming down the spiral staircase in silence and then arnold starts talking and saying his line which i don't even fully understand what the fuck he's talking about but uh, it's kind of one of those like directorially you didn't tell those kids to anticipate that entrance and you didn't then go back in the editing so that if it's like, there's no reason Mrs. Garrett shouldn't have said, I'll check on them. Cut. Arnold is talking while they're coming down the stairs. There's no reason. I think this director knew that um, he was about to deal with 15 teenage girls <laughs> and Conrad, Conrad Bain's first line and Arnold's entrance were the least of his worries yeah. when he looked at this script. You're probably right. So Kimberly is in her bathrobe and in hair rollers and she's just tired and slow at getting ready because daddy, I was up practically all night studying. Our new headmaster's driving us all crazy with his class play. We call him the croc. His name is Mr. Crocker. I can't act as badly as Dana Plato. I can't even feign how terrible she is. Oh my God. Yeah, there's a lot, couple line deliveries in this that I wrote down what the quote was. And I, as I was typing, I was like, I'm never going to be able to deliver that line reading to make fun of that little girl um, as badly as, as they did. Okay, so. wow, we're on the same page. So I'm going to stop <laughs> attempting to do that. Uh, but anyway, um, so the thing is that this headmaster, this new headmaster, Mr. Crocker, at her school, her uh, private school that... She goes to that's a boarding school, but clearly she doesn't sleep there. Um, okay. But her big thing is she is also in charge of the costumes for this play that Mr. Crocker is rehearsing them all day to the point where there's no time to get their schoolwork done at a school 
and she's in charge of the costumes and she doesn't know how she's going to get everything done in time for tomorrow night. And so then Mr. Drummond says, well, isn't your school mother supposed to help the one that lives with you in the dorms? And she says, no, she get tired of putting up with Mr. Crocker and she quit. So famous last words, words that will change her life forever. Mrs. Garrett says, I'm pretty handy with a needle and thread. I could help. Shut up, Charlotte. No, I mean, get, true. It's, it's a payday. It's, it's uh, no, I'm like, no, don't shut up, Charlotte. This is your fucking payday. This is your legacy. It's awful, but, <laughs> but your thoughts are get out now, huh? I, I just, I, I, I would have liked to have seen what would have happened if she would have just stayed with different strokes. Okay. No, maybe. I don't know. I don't give a shit what Charlotte Ray did. Um, <laughs> But I just love how um, she's offering this up. And the next point of conversation is how could this man who is going off to work for the day, I'm assuming, live for a day without kids, without they have to discuss whether or not they can get through a day without Mrs. Garrett for Christ's sake. Yeah. And of course, the first and primary, most important thing is dinner. It's like, okay. And then uh, one thing, and this, they do this a lot. I've noticed when we've been revisiting the different strokes is, is uh, they talk about dinner. Mr. Drummond says, oh, how would you like a delicious steak and baked potato? And the kids are like, "Mm, yeah, that sounds delicious, Mr. D. And then he says, well, uh, we're all going to enjoy that. We're dining out tonight. <laughs> and then they sit. The two boys are on his lap and they sit there and they have to hubba hubba peas and carrots, hubba hubba peas and carrots while the audience is laughing. And I think they even applaud as we wait for them to dissolve to the next scene. And like they did so many times in Facts of Life, you're like, who called cut and who didn't call cut sooner? Jesus. It's almost like it was a live broadcast where they're like, wait, the graphics not ready. Wait, the graphics not ready. The yeah. graphics not ready. The graphics not ready. The graphics not ready. Yeah. <laughs> and he's it's... just waiting, waiting to cut so he can go to the next camera. And you're just he's like, uh, camera two. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Christ. <Yep. laughs> and this is this is the point where I'm guessing David got a little bit a little bit of blood rush to his penis when we got to see an establishing shot of Eastland that was never used again. Oh yes, and not just an establishing shot of a building we've never seen before and we will never see again. Let's hang some fake branches in front of this obvious photograph of a building to make it look like we're shooting it for realsies through some trees. Like a painting, (laughs) it was like a painting almost, I felt like. Oh my God. And it looked like, and forgive me, it looked like a a barricade that it did not look like, well, as as well taken care of as the establishing shot we're going to use for the next three years of the overgrown lawn and the, um, so I guess whatever, you know, Eastland sounds great. (laughs) Yeah, it does. And, and just, uh, you know, I, I don't like to correct you, Matthew. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but it is the East Lake Academy. 
I don't know where this Eastland place is that you think you're looking at, but this you're is right. the East Lake. You're right. We so don't we don't even know that yet. <clears throat> yeah. And also, David, on that real quick, you, you talk about that life changing line of Mrs. Garrett's watching this. The people didn't know that this was going to be life changing for her watching this live. It was like, oh, this is just another episode of Different Strokes. And the people watching this on May 4th, 1979, had no idea that Mrs. Garrett was in plans to leave and all this was going on. So, yeah, I'm sorry I called it Eastland and not Eastlake because I don't know that it's going to be Eastland yet. I don't even know what Eastland is yet. No. And we also don't know where Eastland slash Eastlake is because they make it seem like they just popped over to the corner like they clearly this can't be peak skill i think they hadn't quite gone there yet it was just somewhere you know a nice uh pastoral campus somewhere in one of the boroughs or maybe on long island yeah that's it but not as far out from the city as peak skill there's just no way kimberly would commute there that's ridiculous she would live there and <laughs> anyway But Kimberly does go to the school because when they show up outside the door, it is the same set that we have seen in the season one of Facts of Life when they do step outside the door. For for example, for Mrs. Garrett to remind Mr. Bradley that she is a registered nurse and therefore qualified to teach a sex ed class. Um, But while we're there, now Kimberly, her hair is done and she is wearing her Eastland uniform. It is the familiar burgundy skirt, burgundy vest, the blue tie. But what is she wearing over it, Matthew? Oh, God, I don't know. (gasps) You didn't notice. I'm sorry. I wasn't taken with the body of a 15-year-old girl, David. Oh, no, 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 Matthew. This is, you you almost expect me to say she's wearing a blue blazer, you know, Blair's (laughs) blue blazer. In fact, it is a gray blazer. It is a gray jacket which we never, ever, ever see again. And when I say jacket, I use the term loosely. It's actually two ginormous lapels with a tiny little jacket attached to it. Like an ocean of lapel is being worn by this young lady. And uh, it, it's again, it's like, oh yeah, it's, it's 1979. That's the lapel size, damn. Uh, so. Um, The setup to the joke that we're about to reveal here is outside the door, Mrs. Garrett says she always dreamed of going to a private girls school. It's so beautiful and so peaceful. They open the door. 40 seconds later, they open the door. I thought so too. Yes. Timing. Timing. Yeah. Yeah. It's so beautiful and peaceful. Oh, mm mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, do you want to? Okay, yeah, let's turn the. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Let's go inside. Again, were they waiting for the floor manager out of the corner of their <laughs> eye to say, okay, go, like, yes. go, whatever was happening inside? They needed a moment to, to get it, start chugging and gearing up. <laughs> uh, because when they open the door, Matthew, what is found by them and the audience? Um, an illogical. Um, inexplicable television trope is waiting for them, David. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I mean, this was pan 
pandemonium. It's just, I mean, it was too ridiculous. Agreed. Like, give people something to do, director. Like, oh, have this girl over here studying. Have this these two girls playing games. Like, and you can still make it busy, but without just being a fucking mosh pit, for God's sake. You get it. <laughs> I mean, but- there is music playing. The girls are screaming. They are throwing Frisbees. There are multiple balls being thrown around. There's a beach ball and a basketball and another ball. Uh, There are girls spinning batons. There were girls wearing leotards, walking on their hands. Other girls doing back flips. And it's just Christ. uh, (laughs) It is so beyond crazy. And thankfully, Mrs. Garrett does reference, or I guess I didn't expect Animal House, because that's kind of what they were going for without the togas and the the alcohol. But um, she does say, Kimberly does say, oh, Mr. Crocker must be away. It's the only time we get to blow off any steam. And of all the balls being thrown around, Mrs. Garrett has to dodge several of them and she's getting pissed about it. And it's actually kind of funny. Charlotte Ray's reactions of, I will fucking kill you. Yeah. (laughs) So to get the attention of all the girls, Mrs. Garrett whistles to get their attention. Oh, and I hate a fake whistle. Yes. You've got Edna Garrett with this amazing shrill voice that would have been much funnier if she had actually just stood in the middle of the room and screamed, girls! Yes. Or something. Kimberly tries. Kimberly tries. Hey, hey! In her high, thin, wispy voice. If they had said, I, I really thought that's what the joke was going to be, to have Mrs. Garrett go, quiet! And Thank you. It would have been hilarious. Something. Hilarious. No, we get a big, fake, fucking mouth, fingers in the mouth whistle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate fake whistles. Like when people go, just put their fingers in their mouth and yeah. uh, imitate a whistle. It just, come on. Yep, that's true. Why do you do that joke? If you, I w- The first question, Mr. Director, would have been, hey, Charlotte, can you make a whistle sound with that? No? Okay, how about we come up with a better idea for you to, to quiet this room down? And another and, laugh in a show that could use as many pr- honestly earned laughs as it can, because so many of well, them are just and, and character establishing. You're immediately establishing that Edna Garrett alone can control this room full of women. Ding, ding, so, ding. You know what I mean? So anyways, and I get it. She does that with the whistle, too. But it's like, I don't know. I just hate a fake whistle, <laughs> <The> fake whistle <laughs> so much. It's like me with fake cups with no water in them. That's my, that's one of your pet peeves. Okay. So first introduction by Kimberly. This is Nancy. Because Nancy is clearly going to be the star of this spinoff sitcom. This is Nancy. She's a great actress. She's playing the lead in the play. And then she says, and this is Sue Ann and Tootie and Jennifer and Molly. And then after she goes around, uh, we're going to talk about all the girls in a second. Then almost as an afterthought. Oh, and I almost forgot. That's Blair. And Lisa Welchel is sitting on the couch, kind of morose, sitting there kind of noodling on a guitar. After she's introduced, she strums a non-chord just to make a noise. And so you're like, 
Oh, so is she like the emo? Like, is she the sad girl? Is do okay. they all hate her? Like okay. this, what a weird way to introduce this character. And again, we know who she will become, but what did they think she was at this point? I didn't get morose. I got Blair is bored with these commoners. Uh, these fucking other kids are just not on my level. And I have no one to talk to because I'm so uninterested in these girls and they're so boring and so immature. Like, I, that's what I got from Blair. So I'm going to sit on the couch in the smack dab fucking middle of them and yeah. all of the balls and frisbees being thrown around and the limbs flailing near me with the backflips and yeah. the batons. She's, but she's, I'm going to make it obvious I'm not taking part in any of this. I want everyone to see it is not uncommon for a 13 year old girl to be overly dramatic, David. Mm -hmm. So, and want that attention, but still not want the attention. Like, uh, I'm just going to read my book in the middle of this party. So everybody knows I'm quirky and weird and way better than all of you. Like, okay, we get it. So I got that Blair was just bored and letting everyone know that she is above them. Okay. I, I could, I could see that. I, I, I guess I could see that. Um, uh, then Molly starts talking and clearly from day one, they wanted Molly to be chatty Molly. Remember we had feminist Molly sometimes and chatty Molly other times. They wanted chatty Molly here and good God, she is bloody awful. My next line is Jesus Christ, Molly Ringwald is terrible. <laughs> I, I didn't get uh, chatty. Again, I hate to disagree with you, David, on, on, on your characterization notifications, but I didn't get chatty Molly as much as I got unfiltered Molly. Like, Mo oh, this is Molly. She has no filter. Okay. Because we do have the added thing of her saying, we're glad you're here because of the costumes. It would look weird if we didn't have costumes on, if they were just playing fairies in their own clothes. And do you happen to have a candy bar? Yeah. So like, that is a little different. That is a, I like peanut butter. Can you swim? I keep my toenails in a jar. Yeah. <laughs> I eat paper. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I like turtles. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Oh, I love that uh, kid. Yeah, but that's it. But then um, Mrs. Garrett says, uh, j just the perfect epitome of, and again, notice, to Molly Ringwald, you were just too young to know what you were doing and you were clearly being coached. And Mrs. Garrett says, no, I don't have a candy bar. And she says, that's probably for the best. I shouldn't have it. And points to her cheek and goes, zits. And it's, it's just so presentational and mm -hmm. so coached. And it's like, uh, so where did you get this girl? Oh, she was in a, the LA production of Annie. Oh, there's a shock. <laughs> I love that you use that term, David, presentational and clearly being coached, because I think we know who was coaching her was Mr. Fucking Crocker. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. my God. Yes. Again, you are a television actor. Yes. What are you doing? He's not good in this. And we, we will talk about him, but... So among those I just mentioned that were introduced was Jennifer, played by actor Jennifer Rooney. Uh, and there's also a girl who has lines 
uh, a character named Laura and uh, her name is Laura Schumann. So we have two actresses named Jennifer and Laura playing the roles of Jennifer and Laura. And these are literally, this is their only IMDb credit period. They have no other anything credits. And it's like, okay, I, I don't know why they didn't, they, they were certainly no better or worse than some of the others. Why which they didn't one, make the cut. Which, oh, oh, weren't they, David, though? Weren't they? <laughs> I wrote Jennifer. We call this West Pillar. She didn't know. She didn't talk like her. Watch it again, David. I had oh, to rewind no. it. I had to rewind it. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's and, like uh, Elmer Fudd. <laughs> Yeah. Laura Schumann, I think, is the one with the short hair who gives off a little baby femme dyke vibe. But interesting that I believe on IMDb, Jennifer Rooney is credited as Jennifer and she was introduced. Laura Schumann is not credited, but there is another girl who has lines that doesn't have a credit. Also among the girls, uncredited, unmentioned, no lines, but very uh, prominent and visible in the back of the screens. A little girl with her aviator glasses, Lori Hendler. Not Lori Hendler. The wonderful. Who the fuck is Lori Hendler? She would go on to be the middle daughter, Julie Kaniski on Give Me a Break. Oh, jeez. Do you not see her and recognize her? The homely one? No, stop. <laughs> no. You did call her that because she was in High School USA also, remember? She and her friend trying to get the pictures of the dude's butt. Yes, She and, she and Jenny her? Piccolo. That's Lori that Hendler, yeah. Oh, she's, she's so good on Password. I've been, I've seen her on Password. She's smart as a whip. Oh, I'm sure she is. But yeah, that's before, this is before Give Me a Break. Give Me a Break started in 81. So she was still two years away from getting her career defining role. Uh, that ran for six seasons, by the way. Give Me a Break was 81 to 87. Yeah. And by the end, Lori Handler was married to Jonathan Silverman. And at the beginning of the last season, she had a baby and then they moved away, which was part of the retooling and Nell going to New York with Joey Lawrence and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, she kind of grew up on television and I guess she's still out there. She's still working. She still posts pictures and stuff just uh, hasn't been in anything particularly high profile. Now missing from the brood, of course, no Joe. Joe doesn't come in till season two of Facts of Life, but no Natalie and no Cindy, no Julianne Haddock, mm. which is interesting. They looked at that room full of girls and said, you know what? We need to find just, we, is, there another, <laughs> is there another one? Like, we, could, we could add a couple more. I think, I think we need a couple just, more, don't you? Just yeah. diff, none of these girls. <laughs> that bitch with She's, the baton, she is awful fire her fucking talentless ass oh i mean oh we got elmer fudd but <laughs> over there but i just and her her other line later she says something terrible and she helped me with my algebra too <laughs> <laughs> fucking marlena dietrich stop that uh <laughs> so then Kimberly says she's going to go upstairs to get her costume. And, and by the way, this is the same set. Like they really didn't change the set between yeah. now and season one of the facts of life. It's pretty much as it was uh, in terms of the layout and the finishes and all that. So uh, that's a good thing. That's one constant at least. Uh, so while Kimberly's gone now, Mrs. Garrett is left alone with the girls and they 
are still kind of fucking around a little bit. And this is now another historic moment, Matthew. Mm. Mrs. Garrett says, girls, shouldn't you be working on your costumes? It's the first time we hear her say girls. Who would have thunk? It's like witnessing the first time Gomer Pyle said, golly. Mm -hmm. It's like the first time watching Endora say Durwood. (laughs) Oh, David, this historical television moment. Yep. And it just glides right by and no one even knows what it is. (laughs) Um, So it's, uh, it's weird in that, yeah, this is where Jennifer says we call this rest period. But the Kimberly's story this morning was that this headmaster has been over rehearsing them so goddamn much. Um, then there's some banter between Sue Ann and Blair. Sue Ann trying to sew her costume and she keeps getting stuck with the needle. And Blair says, how many times have you stuck yourself, idiot, or something like that? And Sue Ann says, if I do it anymore, I'm going to need a transfusion. And then Blair finally stands up, still with the guitar, and says, well, I'm afraid I can't help you there. Blue blood would never mix with yours. Blair's a sassafras. Damn. Again, supporting my my opinion that she's considers herself above all of this and above all of these girls. I guess so. She's I, not sad. She's letting everyone know she's better than them. Yeah. Jeez, why does she have to be <laughs> such a bitch about it? Man. Oh, God. But uh, anyhow, when she gets up with the guitar and just walks over to the chair, you know, one of those highly motivated character and dialogue driven crosses that you see in TV where they stand up from one place and move to another place for no apparent reason. Blair walks over and you see what she is wearing. She is wearing a short sleeve, light blue top tied at the waist and the shortest, tiniest shorty shorts. Uh, I said Dukes of Hazard is on uh, CBS and the opposite network. She's literally wearing a Daisy Duke getup. This is what mm-hmm. which was being worn. And I mean, she is a teenager. She is an underage, not yet an adult woman. And this is how they costumed her in these tight, skimpy, skimpy clothes. And it is so uncomfortable. Ugh. Anyway, somebody goes to throw a Frisbee at Mrs. Garrett. And uh, Mrs. Garrett looks over and suddenly sees smoke coming from behind that same chair. And she finds Blair crouched behind the chair, smoking. You know, Blair Warner, that big old smoky smokes a lot character. David, it is. And I watched so many old game shows on the buzzer channel. It, that was probably the least shocking thing for viewers to see that night. Oh. than anything else that happened in this episode. Oof, for a 15 year old girl. Yes. Oof, yes. Yikes. It was it 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 I I cannot tell you how pre- I mean you know but I know I know but I'm still prevalent like- smoking was on TV like fucking it's amazing to me and I in watching the game the match game recently they showed um um and I've got to find the story about this but they showed Charles Nelson Riley with his pipe all the time mm-hmm. 
but they never showed Richard Dawson smoking. I feel like there, they did sometimes. There were every once in a while you he would he would catch him. Like yeah, okay, smoke, you'd catch him. Yes, you, you'd smoke would like be coming up over Brett Summers, like while she's giving her answer because he's right in front of her. <laughs> And every once in a while, they'll pan away, but they never showed him like sitting there like Johnny Carson with a cigarette in his mouth. Mm. And you watch Johnny Carson and it's like he's sitting there talking to somebody, lighting a cigarette, blowing smoke in their face, for God's sake. That Uh, is crazy. So it's so funny to me to see to see that and think, how, like I said, that was probably the most unsurprising thing that the audiences saw in this episode. I still think there was a shock factor with, you know, smoking was still not a thing school aged children did. But Edna didn't go over there and act surprised or act like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, you're going to get kicked out of school. Put that thing out. I'm taking that away. She walked over and said, I'm going to deliver a line to you. (laughs) And that's it. Like, and didn't even take it away from her. Left her there smoking it, for all we know. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> well, Matthew. Yes. This leads to something that's, uh, it's about to come up later with the addition of Mr. Crocker coming into the house. Mm-hmm. Matthew, these are the edited for syndication versions. There are bits and pieces missing. Oh, no. Oh, no. There's more I could have watched. Uh, well, I don't know where you could have watched it, but thanks to the Subtitles Like Scripts website that takes the subtitles off of the DVDs, there are some bits missing, including later when Mr. Crocker comes in, he says, well, you see, when it comes to fairness, girls, I, I smell smoke. Which one of you girls is smoking? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? And then he turns to Mrs. Garrett. Is it you? Oh, you're not a girl. Who are you? Because technically, they're never introduced, you remember. This is their introduction. And uh, someone says, Mr. Crocker, that's Mrs. Garrett. And she's going to be helping me with the costumes. I assume it's uh, Dana Plato at this point. Trouble is, they don't show who says the lines. These are just the lines and the thing. So somebody says, and she's the one who's smoking. Maybe it's Blair. Maybe it's a trying to deflect whatever. And Mrs. Garrett says, what are you going to do? Expel me? And Dana Plato says, but Mrs. Garrett, you don't smoke cigarettes. And she says, well, Kimberly, there are a lot of closet smokers. Who knows? I might smoke anything that'll burn. Cigars, pipes, bamboo, rope. And he says, I think this would be Mr. Crocker. You smoke bamboo? Weird lady. And then the next line, I assume it's Blair who says, you really didn't have to cover for me. I don't care if the croc nails me. Uh... And Mrs. Garrett says, you keep smoking, the mortician's going to nail you. So that is not in this episode, but it is in the transcript. So there is a little bit more about the headmaster being, whoa, whoa, whoa. Someone has been smoking in this room. That's a big fucking deal. So I don't disagree with you that smoking was certainly more ubiquitous. But as kids, we st- it was still a grown-up thing. I don't know anybody that actively encouraged teenage kids to smoke or and certainly wouldn't glamorize it on net network television during prime time. Not those people that made candy cigarettes. You don't think, (laughs) 
not making Joe Camel a cartoon. You don't think yeah. that? Ha- okay, okay, David. Yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm just saying. I. <laughs> uh, anyway, but the deal is the fact that Blair is the one smoking, and that is so not a thing that the future yeah. Blair Warner would ever do because yeah. she's such a goody-goody in some respects. Um, so when Mrs. Garrett does call Blair out, this is before Mr. Crocker arrives. Now, uh, she goes over and Blair looks up at her and says, uh, in my home, housekeepers know their place, which is like, fuck, dude, that is harsh. And Mrs. Garrett unfazed says, in my home, so do little girls. So then someone throws a soccer ball at her and she kind of gets swept up. This is Mrs. Garrett now in playing the games and throwing the soccer ball around and of course, she throws it, and who catches it? An old dude with white hair. It's Mr. Crocker, and he's caught them all. Ah! What is going on here? And then Tootie, in a physical bit they try, is she goes, oh, no, Mr. Crocker. And on her skate, she goes flying across the set and into a fake paper door that I guess is part of the set for the play in the common room of the dormitory yeah set that, piece that we'll be rehearsing in this dormitory not in a anyway anyway sorry and not move the couch yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that's coming up later anyway a little physical bit with Tootie on her skates and uh anyway we are now introduced to Mr. Crocker Jack Riley is the actor He started out in the radio. He wrote material for Don Rickles, Tim Conway. He appeared on Red Skelton's show. He was a writer and performer on the original Laugh-In. He passed away in August 2016 at the age of 80 with 181 credits in a 49-year career, according to IMDb. That is a hell of a career for a character actor. He played Elliot Carlin on 49 episodes of the Bob Newhart show between 72 and 78. That's probably his most high profile role. And this is his third out of four appearances on different strokes. And he will play four different characters on the show. Most of his appearances are in the 70s and the 80s, and they're mostly one-offs except for what I've listed. Uh, Millennials will know him as the voice of Stu Pickles on Rugrats, which he had been doing since 1991 in all the TV series, the movies, the video games. Stu Pickles, I, in my research, because I don't know Rugrats, I'm too old, sadly. Mm. Uh, Stu is the dad character, like a, an inventor character. of, and, and his kids are Tommy and Dill. Tommy is the baby in the diaper. Dill is his younger brother who's in like a yellowy green onesie. So it's like the dad of the two younger kids. Um, And as we alluded to earlier, this man is a very competent, decorated, highly employable television character actor. So it is just baffling how not good he is in delivering his lines in this show. Oh my God. There's a little part of me that wonders if he was like, I'm going to do this so terribly they won't possibly offer me a part in this piece of shit. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but uh, uh, they try to establish him that he's the headmaster, but he's also this weird dictatorial narcissistic drama teacher as well, where 
uh, he's suddenly talking to them about, and about those rumors that I've stolen this play from William Shakespeare. Well, I simply adapted it. His was Midsummer Night's Dream. Mine is a mid-autumn day's fantasy. And I just cut out some of Shakespeare's obvious weaknesses. And uh, yeah, oh, oh, and the line, and granted, I don't think the writing's doing him any favors either. And the way the line is structured, I didn't say it right. He goes, a midsummer night's dream? Ha! I call mine a mid-autumn day's fantasy. And it's like, why are you telling this to this room full of girls who already know the play and are rehearsing the play? Why wouldn't you be telling this to Mrs. Garrett? Why wouldn't they have moved that to later when he's introduced to her, when she says she's helping with the costumes and this sounds like an interesting play I'm helping with? I mean, there's a very simple way to better motivate why he's doing this and speaking in this way as opposed to, I'm walking in as an authority figure and I'm uh, putting, and I'm making sure to establish that I'm very full of myself. And uh, it, it, I, it, I love how you got to this point and that's when you started to ask for good writing. So <laughs> I'm going to mark it down how long you got into this episode before you really wanted them to really have good writing. Okay, yeah. got it. <laughs> Well, maybe it's because this was reparable. Everything else is beyond reproach. This one, they could have fixed it and made it a little more organical. Um, so it's just like, but he's the new headmaster. He's fairly new. Kimberly said that. And that's what made the uh, school mother, dorm mother quit. So how is he a new headmaster with all the duties that job entails, but also the drama teacher, writer, director, producer, of a play, why didn't they just have a drama teacher? Why didn't they make him the new dictatorial drama teacher? And then the other guy they bring in later could have been the headmaster, right? David, there were 20 teenage girls on the <laughs> set that week. They were just trying to, they were just trying to get to the point when that's a wrap. So yeah. everybody could be like, pass me that weed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so then we have the bit that i recited earlier about the cigarettes and the smoking and then that is broken uh the edit there is uh where tootie comes rolling in saying mail call and tootie's on her skates tootie ends up rolling into mr crocker and he says why can't you ever get rid of those skates you're 12 years old haven't you learned how to walk and that ladies and gentlemen is the beginning of the end for us today. Yes. <laughs> well, here's the deal. Tootie was 12 in season one of the Facts of Life. We're only off by a year. Okay. But let's let's look at the ages of all the girls. <laughs> Matthew's about to snarf. How fucking long are we going? Oh, Jesus. Not all the girls, David. Okay. Um, but there are Kim 20 girls on that set. No, are we no, no. Talk we can about do this. Oh, my God. Okay. We can do this. We can do this. Uh, I just want to reiterate that Lisa Welchel, dressed in her Daisy Dukes and her, her cooter hugging jean shorts there, mm -hmm. she is 15 at this point. She won't be 16 till uh, later the month that this is broadcast. Now, um, Kim Fields always has said in interviews, she was nine when she started. It sounds better than when she says she's 10. 
Well, Ann Miller used to tell people she was 13 when she started. Come on, Kim Fields. How much are we taking off of our age here? Just to say how young and amazing I was. So Kim Fields is, in fact, nine years old. Her birthday is May the 12th, and this is broadcasting uh, May the 4th. So this obviously was before her 10th birthday. So Kim Fields is, in fact, nine. So she is correct in those interviews where she began the role of Tootie Ramsey at the age of nine. But she did not start on the series The Facts of Life till she was 10. Uh, But just to go through all the others, Charlotte Ray has just turned 53. Gary Coleman is 10, Todd Bridges is 13, Dana Plato is 14. Felice Schachter is 15, Julie Pikarski is 16. Uh, Molly Ringwald has just turned 11 as of the taping of this. So she's just a, she's a year older than Kim Fields. I always speculated that maybe Tootie and Molly were the same year. Uh, Molly might've been a year older, but uh, yeah, just wanna reiterate that at this point, we have nine-year-old Kim Fields trying to be passed off as 12. And if you think she looks tiny in season one, when we go back and revisit the first season of Facts of Life, uh, that was when she was on her skates and she met Charlotte Ray eye to eye. So she was five foot tall in the skates. In this one, she is shorter than Mrs. Garrett. And she's on fucking roller skates. She is a fetus compared to them. Tootie had that Afro puff on top of her head. Yeah. And she was still shorter than Mrs. Garrett because she yeah. was <laughs> nine. Yes, that's oh. right. They didn't have the pigtails for Tootie. They had just the one sort of pom-pom ponytail on top of her head. Again, clearly to try and make her look taller. But I mean, I'm glad they wanted her that badly for this show that they were like, this is going to be a boarding school and it's going to be Kimberly. So it's going to be kind of maybe junior high or high school. So the nine-year-old will make it work. We'll make it work, designers. But <laughs> anyway, uh, so there. that's my little age uh, diversion. I hope that wasn't too boring for listeners. But uh, Kimberly comes back and she leads Mrs. Garrett to the old house mother's bedroom, which we know will become Mrs. Garrett's bedroom. And it, like all the rest of the set, is pretty much straight up the same. It looks really as it does in season one of Facts of Life. Um, while this is going on, though, all the girls start swooping in and piling up all their tool and dresses and tutus on it. Can you help me? Can you help me? And again, this, this cacophony pandemonium of all these girls and chaos. And, uh, and finally, Mrs. Garrett starts in with the Mrs. Garrettisms. Like, okay, she's going to be the wisdom voice earth mother and she says girl stop you get to work on those costumes on that pile over there and i will supervise and then she adds god helps those who help themselves everyone else will be up the creek so we're starting already with the adages and the motherly wisdom and uh yeah then we get into the uh bedroom she comes in uh with her arms full still and she finds nancy sitting on the bed with a letter, apparently from the mail call that, you know, Tootie just brought in all the mail on the skates. And Nancy is crying with a handkerchief. Cause you know, when I cry, Matthew, first thing I say is, where's my handkerchief? I need a, I need a cloth handkerchief. I'm a 15 year old girl at a boarding school. Uh, anyway, Nancy is crying and it's because her parents just sent her a letter saying her father lost his job. They can't afford to keep her there anymore. 
So Mrs. Garrett tries to comfort her, but she doesn't really get very far into doing that until more girls come into the room and continue to stampede her and pile more colored costumes and shit on top of her. And then as they leave, last words, Sue Ann tosses over her shoulder. Have you seen Laura's frog, Leon? And she says, no. And she goes, okay. Could we have set up a more broad joke? I know, really. Gee, I wonder if a missing frog might come back at some point for comedic impact. And then the weirdest thing, Mrs. Garrett gets a monologue spoken out loud, not in voiceover, where she's alone with her own thoughts. And she basically restates everything that we've just witnessed. And she says, I don't believe this. I'm quoting the episode now. She says, I don't believe this. This morning I was in the kitchen minding my own business. Kimberly had a little problem, so I offered to help her. The next thing I know, I'm here in this cuckoo's nest playing with a Frisbee and saying I smoke bamboo. That line still remains in the version on Prime, even though the line where she actually says it was cut. That's where that comes from. And then she says, on top of that, while a poor little girl's heart is breaking, I'm supposed to be sewing 400 costumes and looking for a frog named Leon. Well, what happens, Matthew? <laughs> this fucking frog jumps onto her lap and she lays back and screams. I would be out. So we're at commercial now. Mm. We're only halfway through this shit. Jesus. So much more to discuss. So much more. We come back from commercial and the girls are sitting around talking about how much they're going to miss Nancy. How uh, is there anything they could do to keep her in school? What a nice, generous girl. Again, talking her up because she's kind of supposed to be the star, the, the teen star of this show. And uh I don't know who says these lines, but there are more lines cut here from syndication. In the middle of this conversation, someone says the only way poor Nancy's gonna stay in school is if a miracle happens. And the only thing I know about miracles is one time when we were going to New Jersey and it started to rain, we came to a bridge and it was washed out. And the next day we were so lucky. And they say, what's the miracle? And they say, we didn't wanna to go to New Jersey in the first place. <laughs> okay all right M moving on didn't really miss that uh we do have a bra joke for 2d you know because when you're nine years old you're like damn it where are my tits uh where 2d says that nancy even lent her her bra once and someone does say what did you borrow her bra for what for and she was like i needed a tail for my kite ha <laughs> ha Sheboygan. They're going to love that one in Kokomo. Um, then we go to the, then we go to the bedroom. Mrs. Garrett is at the sewing table. It is the electric sewing machine, not her grandmother's antique non-motorized sewing machine that Beverly Ann had to get out of the attic um, later previously in the, I don't know where we are in the timeline of us in the show and all that. Um, but Nancy is with her and Mrs. Garrett brings up the idea of, well, maybe you could get a scholarship. And she says, well, I don't have grades for that. I, you would need straight A's. And Mrs. Garrett says, well, it's more than just about grades. Kimberly says you're a terrific actress. Maybe you could get a scholarship for that. D did you note that line reading, Matthew? Yeah, I did. Yeah. 
And also, you know Blair's cousin Jerry? <laughs> She's mm -hmm. a wonderful comedian. <laughs> so, um, but they don't have dramatic art scholarships. And Mrs. Garrett says, we'll get Mr. Crocker to start one. And Nancy says, Mr. Crocker asking him to spend money? A man who recycles dental floss? Ha ha! Oh, they're one, two, punching us with the one-liners. My God. These are some witty, witty girls. Damn. They belong on the vaudevillian stage in 1892, I tell you. So then Mr. Crocker comes into the room. And uh, again, no one knocks. It's a bedroom. Nobody knocks. Now he's wearing a sweater over a dress shirt and a scarf that makes him look like the dad of Fred from Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Very weird. Not, not the tucked in ascot like a Mr. Drummond. We're talking the, the it's, it's flailing out. It looks like it's kind of caught in the wind. But he says to Mrs. Gary, can you sew any faster? And she says... It's just a sewing machine. If I sew any faster, I would have to enter it into the Indy 500. So she's already being sassy to him and he's already being a dick to her. Well, excuse me, why aren't these costumes done? Can't she go any faster? The response is, bitch, I don't work here. Yeah, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but then Mrs. Garrett tries to butter him up, saying she read the play, she thinks it's brilliant. What a shame it is. Nancy's going to have to drop out. I read your play. When? Edna. When? <laughs> it's, it's in my notes, too. When the fuck did she have time if she's got to sew 400 costumes? So oh. true. So true. I don't know if reading is something you do while you're sewing on a sewing machine. Uh, that's a no. That is a hard no. Um, and so she says, well, what about a scholarship? And he says, a scholarship? Bite your tongue. I'm already over budget on these costumes. And Mrs. Garrett says, you don't care about these girls and what's going on with them. You care only about yourself. If Shakespeare were alive, he'd drop dead. Another overshouty delivery from Charlotte Ray, where it's like, girl, you don't have to work that hard. And then we have another little bit of dialogue, again, cut from this episode. So I don't know where you can find this unless you have the DVDs. He says, that's what you know, Mrs. Garrett. All I know is I have to show a profit to the trustees. I may even have to do away with some of the luxuries around here. And Mrs. Garrett says, have you thought of putting in paid toilets? And he says, don't be ridiculous, Mrs. Garrett. Of course I have. <laughs> okay. So it's like, please, could we get out of this awful cycle of, of uh, jokes and one-liners? And then we start the rehearsal and it's like, oh God, give me the jokes and the one-liners because this rehearsal is excruciating. Someone actually says, Sue Ann comes in in the donkey head. And she says, should we go to the auditorium? And he says, no, we're going to rehearse in here today. Like you fucking do. Yeah. It, it's, uh, huh? And then uh, we do have a little bit of a blooper here. Um, Tootie comes uh, around the couch, or no, he goes around the couch and Tootie comes skating the other way and she runs into him. And it's another, I'm sorry, Mr. Crocker. I think she was supposed to run into him, but then 
she can't get up. Like she literally loses her footing and grabs his sweater. Like he's still trying to keep walking and she's still clinging to him and he has to, whoa, whoa, what the fuck? But, um, and the girls laugh, like the, the girls, the, the background girls are laughing at it because it is funny. And he's just feeling, I mean, good for him that he didn't break and they didn't have to stop tape, but he's going, okay, come on quickly, quickly now, places, girls, places. And, uh, but it is <laughs> kind of a funny little moment where you do see uh, Kim Fields is not as steady on those skates as she would later become. <sighs> oh, yeah. And, and just as a reminder, she had to go up and down those stairs later in the skates. Crazy. So they start, so they start the rehearsal and he says, fairy in place, please. And Dana Plato takes a moment. They let this be a moment where she can do a little bit of a dance move and a spin and a kick jump in the air, a little balletic move, and then land on the couch. And the audience is so impressed. They applaud. Yeah. They applaud for this scantily clad young girl laying almost mm -hmm. naked on, on the couch. Yeah. In this very, very sheer fairy costume. Uh, I don't want to sound too pervy, but don't look too hard at her chest. You can kind of see oh, that okay. she is not wearing a support garment underneath. It's it's pretty well, I revealing. I didn't get that far. No, Oof. I didn't. I didn't want to. Uh, so then Nancy comes in and says her line and she's awful, but it's because she's so distracted. She's so oh, this is so weighing so heavily on her. And then we get the line. You know, when directors on TV shows give direction to their actors? No, 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 Nancy. You have to be more animated. Concentrate on passionate, youthful recklessness, followed by stubborn defiance, and top it off with a little bit of seething dismay. Really? Yeah. I mean, I know you, you only work in television. You wouldn't know what a rehearsal is or how it's run or how people direct things. I realize this is completely foreign territory for you television writers, but oy. then he's interrupted by Molly saying he has a phone call and he's like, I can't be interrupted. It's in a rehearsal. It's the head trustee. I'll be right there. And he leaves. So then Mrs. Garrett and Nancy have another wisdom moment where Nancy's like, oh, I'm just so distracted. I can't do it. I don't know if I can give him all those things he wants. And Mrs. Garrett, wisdom again, tells a story about she was in a play and right before she got to the theater, she fell off her bike. She broke her tooth. She landed in poison ivy, but she still went on and they told her she was the best tree in the background. And the lesson here is always do your best, no matter what. And Nancy is so moved by this. She says, thank you. And they kiss on the cheek. It's like, oh, okay. We're, we're getting close very quickly here. Wow. Well, she was kissing Arnold the first day he was there. So. True. Very Char true. Charlotte's a big kisser. I she think. is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So then uh, as Nancy leaves, Mrs. Garrett quickly calls Kimberly over and says, doesn't your father know the head trustee? And Kimberly's like, oh yes, daddy and Mr. Robinson have gone way back, blah, blah, blah. And um, whenever I do Kimberly, I always feel like I'm going a little bit into Zoolander. Like I always start talking like this. And uh, it's, it's not a good impression either way, but just throwing that out there. Uh, but 
Mrs. Garrett is being, she's being a conniving, like Mrs. Garrett is setting some shit into motion here. She is uh, going above and beyond as well as behind the backs of many people here. So in the next scene, it's the next night after the performance, um, Mrs. Garrett is now buttering up Mr. Robinson. This is the head trustee played by character actor, veteran Peter Hobbs. He's had appearances and recurring roles on Barney Miller, Lou Grant, The Odd Couple, The Doris Day Show. Uh, he's been on The Facts of Life, Knott's Landing, The FBI, and The Tim Conway Show. Who was he on The Facts of Life? He was on The Facts of Life, um, and we talked about it because I remember mentioning he was the doctor in 9 to 5 that tells Franklin Hart that he's going to go up for an x-ray. Peter Hobbs. And, and then he stopped the cops stop him and um they go, How is he? How is he, Doc? And Lily Tomlin overhears him tell the cops, Oh, he's dead. <laughs> yeah. That was him. And then she thinks they're talking about Franklin Hart. And that sets the whole second act into motion on nine to five. The hilarity. Oh, the chain letter, Mr. Stevens. He's the guy that comes in to do the inspection at Edna's Edibles and Joe is doing chain letters. Oh, that's, season, that's season five, episode 13. That's where he's from. I thought it was familiar. Um, but uh, yeah, the facts of life, Knott's Landing, the FBI and the Tim Conway show, uh, 154 credits in a 44 year career. And uh, the only non one-offs, anytime there's like a cluster of multiple appearances, he was on six episodes of Days of Our Lives in 1983 as a judge, a handful of recurring roles, Barney Miller, Lou Grant and the FBI. But for the most part, he really was just, it was all one-offs, just one and done or the occasional show where he was in three and four episodes, but in multiple different roles. So another uh, professional career uh, veteran character actor here. And he's also, actually quite wonderful. What little he has, he is spot on casting wise, wouldn't you say? Well, yeah. And he's also 51 in this episode, David. What do I care about his age? I thought I'd share that. Why are you bringing that up? That's a waste of time, Matthew. I don't know. Nobody cares about anybody's ages on this show. No. So Mr. Robinson says that he really enjoyed the show. And then he turns to Mrs. Garrett and says, and I get the impression that you think very highly of Mr. Crocker. And Mrs. Garrett says, I can't tell you what I think of him. A very well-delivered line. And then in comes Mr. Drummond with Arnold and Willis, of course, because Kimberly was in the play. Um, so then Philip says to Mr. Crocker, tell Charlie, what your idea was, you know, the idea for the scholarship. And he goes, my, huh, what? And Mrs. Garrett says, you know, the scholarship we were discussing yesterday. And then Charlie says, yes, Drummond mentioned it to me when we were at lunch today. And Mrs. Garrett says, and Mr. Crocker really thinks that the first of this scholarship should go to Nancy. She was so good as the lead in the play. And Robinson says, well, uh, based on how much I enjoyed the show, we shouldn't have any trouble at all selling that to the other trustees. And then he says, let's go off and tell her right now. So Nancy is saved thanks to Mrs. Garrett. So Nancy's the 
uh, scholarship student. They abandon that pretty quickly so that we can have Joe as the real scholarship student from the Bronx, you know? So then Mr. Crocker and Mrs. Garrett are left together where it's kind of the, okay, you kind of fucked me over, but you also made me look good. And Mrs. Garrett says, I just want you to know, Mr. Crocker, you've gone to the top of my list. And he says, oh, what list is that? And she says, guess. And then they have an extra moment of him thinking about it and then (gasps) reacting and realizing that was an insult kind of a thing. Yeah, he's on the shit list. Ah, she didn't say it. So then uh, the hullabaloo of them telling Nancy, we don't get to experience that. That's all happened during this exchange. And then the girls are now dispersing and uh, Robinson or somebody says, I think it's Robinson who says, the girls have a great idea. And Tootie is the one who presents the idea. And bear in mind, Tootie's not on skates now because she's in her costume and was in the play. So Kim Fields, who barely comes up to this dude's waist. And Tootie says, we thought that you should offer Mrs. Garrett the job of house mother. And they're like, oh my God, what a great idea. And Nancy thinks that's wonderful. And Arnold has entered wearing a donkey head, the donkey head that um, Sue Ann had on before. And I guess that was supposed to be funny and well i will tell you though i i chuckled at at gary coleman's comic ability to perform with that hat on and, and the way the head way he made the head move and everything i was yeah. like good good for you gary using that mm-hmm. prop that was he he made some good choices yeah yeah you know he sells it he makes it work gary coleman is magic and he's awesome uh but then uh mr crocker does say to mrs garrett well um, I guess we are in a position to offer you this job. You would have to leave your old job, though. At which point, through the donkey head, we get a, what you talking about, Mr. Crocker? <laughs> and uh, the girls overwhelmingly want her to stay. And Mrs. Garrett says, girls, it's wonderful to be wanted, but I'm needed with my family. And I've got to get back to be with them now. And even Willis reiterates, she ain't going nowhere. Kimberly and, um, says, no one's taking Mrs. Garrett from us. Um, okay. Uh, well, and also, um, you go to this school, Kimberly, so you wouldn't be losing Mrs. Garrett, yeah. really, would you? Very, very weird. And then the final joke, the final visual, ha ha! is Gary Coleman saying, yeah, she ain't going nowhere. And he starts to like butt into, I think it's Mr. Crocker, like butting into him with the with the donkey head. And then um, somebody grabs him. I think it's Mr. Drummond that says, down boy, it was only a thought. Credits. Okay, that's, uh, oh, all right. What an ending. Wow. If Um, Shakespeare were alive today, he dropped dead. (laughs) It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, this is, uh, for a backdoor pilot, this is pretty rough. Okay, let me just, I guess, maybe ask this. And I, I think I know the answer, but when did I fall in love with this show? (laughs) 
like I, I I know it was probably like season three or four when I finally found it and Edna's edibles we've talked about how much that means to me but like I watched this early stuff and I'm like as a child I can't even imagine I would have been interested in this yeah, so I agree I did not see this in its first run. I really wasn't watching Different Strokes much this first season. I remember very distinctly tuning into the season two Facts of Life pilot when Joe shows up. And it was not like, oh, we have to sit down and watch this. It happened to be the thing that was on. And we watched it. And I remember being like, wow, this is really good. This is, I, I remember kind of seeing the other show from season one in passing and thinking this isn't very good, especially the adoption. Remember the adoption episode is where I was like, fuck this show, <laughs> Jesus. But the one with suddenly, you know, this, how everything just got pulled so taut and they went with archetypes and picked the best girls to keep and the worst girls to lose. Um, yeah, that was for me. It was at season two, episode one. I was like, oh, I am in. This is a show I like now. Yeah. And to the point where, as you know, once we get to Edna's Edibles, I'm kind of like, but wait, what? No, where's the show I love? What are we doing in a cheese and pasta shop? <laughs> if you recall, Tootie calls it in the interview show, a cheese and pasta shop. <laughs> and I'm like, where's my school? Where is Eastland? Where's, where's all that? But sunrise, sunset, mm-hmm. sunrise, sunset. Well, that kind of wraps this one up. What else did we want to talk about uh, before we head on our way, Matthew? Well, I know because of when we're recording this and when they're hearing this, this is going to sound outdated. But I have so loved watching the internet blow up over live in front of a studio audience, not because of how good the show was, but because of how amazing Lisa Welcher looks. Mm-hmm. I just love that how much that must have, how good that must have felt to wake up the next day and be like, uh, Lisa, you've blown up the internet. Yeah. Because of how amazing you look, like how much love there is for her pouring in. That must have made her feel amazing. Yeah, when the peak of your career was 35 years ago and you are 58 years old, still doing it, still working the work, but to to still be at her place in her life and her career, I agree with you. My heart sang with happy. Uh. And, And that by extension, all of that buzz was also drawing attention to. The Facts of Life was live on network television in 2021. Isn't that fucking crazy that it still was considered relevant for them to do it? My heart flies with the eagle's nest, David. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note, I think we're at the end of another TV Talkaholics. Oh, oh, God. We've got to find something good to watch for these poor people. They're paying for this shit. I know we have to find something good. We need, we need another high school USA. We need Uh, another, um, I need, we, anyway, but, but we needed to do this. This was, you know, the completest in me is like, this had to be done this episode. So for us, for Matthew and me, do we, do we want to give the TV talkaholics ratings, our, our number of talkaholic Uh, chips? Don't even waste your chips on this. (laughs) Uh, yeah, it's it's definitely not a must watch. If you want to watch the facts of life in an amorphous, 
place where it hasn't quite gelled or taken a form that is particularly watchable. You got all 13 episodes of season one. You don't need to add this one to the pile. It's no. Yeah. This is worse than the worst of those really, isn't it? Oh yeah. Completely. Yeah. So, okay then. Well, until next month, Tutti Fruities, you know, we love you. Thank you again. We hope you had a happy new year and we're looking forward to lots more fun to be had through this year. And uh, before 2022 is over, we're going to have to figure out what is next for David and Matthew, because the podcast will be ending towards the end of the year. Isn't that crazy? First comes love, then comes a podcast, then comes David in a baby carriage. I don't know. <laughs> well, until next time, Matthew, sweetheart, I love you. Mwah. We'll talk at you soon. I mean, we are milking the whole will they or won't they thing. I mean, it's been eight seasons and we're still we're still milking that. Okay. Are we? I'm just saying by season nine, they're going to want a big bow on this little wedding gift. So are they? Anyways. Bye, okay. Maybe we should look at um, uh, who's the boss. You know, that one where seven seasons of Tony and Angela, will they or won't they? And uh, the answer was uh, won't. Oh, please, God, no. <laughs> I think that's the answer. <laughs> I think. Uh, Fucking Judith Light was the one screaming it. Please, God, no. No. I love you, David. Bye. Love you, Matthew. Mwah. Talk later. Make good choices. Bye, Tutti Fruities. Merry Bye. Christmas. Mwah. Don't push your religion on me. No, <laughs> more about gel code. When the fourth. Don't you call in the. More importantly, 